Hi, welcome to the Minority Money Podcast with our dad, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, the best dad in the whole world. You know why we think he's the best? Because he teaches us stuff, good stuff about life and money. We know you will love him as much as we do. So So let's let's get get on on with the the show. Welcome to the Minority Money Podcast. I'm your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, CEO and founder of Gen Next Wealth, a fee-only financial planning and investment firm. Welcome back to the show. I'm excited to get started today. I have been talking to this gentleman for some time. I consider him a friend. I consider him someone that I look up to in the industry. And we're going to have a a real candid conversation today. And I I hope you guys enjoy this. And I wanted to take a time out uh, before we even get started on this to thank all the listeners that have been joining the show and everybody that's given me, you know, inspiration. They've given me words of encouragement and, and you guys have been great. And I just wanted to take this time and just say thank you to all the listeners of the Minority Money Podcast. We truly are going to change the complexion of wealth. And that's because of all of you. So can't thank you guys enough or you all enough for all the support. If you haven't had a chance already, I'm going to ask you to please, if you listen to this on iTunes, please go in there, give us a review. If it's good or bad, if you want us to change some things, please let us know. That is the way that you can get to us and let us know what your thoughts are. So once again, if you haven't already, please give us a review on iTunes. We really, really appreciate that. Any feedback is good feedback for us. And with that, today we are going to have my good friend, Alex Chalekian on with us. Alex, thanks for coming on the show. Emlyn, thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. And so Alex and I met at a conference in June, actually, and it was, it was a conference and there was a room full of advisors and we were having real candid conversations about, um, at the time, I think we were calling it diversity and inclusion at that time. Mm-hmm. Since then, the conversation has evolved a bit and today, that's what we're going to talk a little bit about. We're going to talk about equality and representation. And I think you are the perfect person to talk about this. <laughs> but before we get into that, can you give the listeners a little background about yourself? Sure, sure. Like yourself, I'm an advisor. I joined the industry back in 97. So it's been 22 years that I've been a financial advisor Pretty much started my practice working with friends, family members, people that I care about, wanted to help those that I know, you know, teach them how to utilize money and, and, and work with investments and just built my practice from there. One, one person at a time. We've grown over the years. We launched our own RIA earlier in 2014. And, you know, here, here we are. Nice. And so Alex being really humble on the podcast. Alex runs a a pretty large RIA out in Pasadena. Him and his wife are running that shout out to Rosa. And and they they run an incredible shop. They have some great advisors that are working there with them. And and there's there's a culture of diversity in their own office. So he might not say it, but I, I actually look and aspire to have my office to look very, very similar to yours. Well I try to practice what I preach, you know? And unfortunately, a lot of times people in our industry and others don't really do that. But I I try to stick to that. Put your money where your mouth is. Yep. Yep. Appreciate that. So with that, I wanted to come into there. There was a there was a conversation or some social media stuff that was going on after you went to this conference with some some comments that, you know, a certain individual had made a a CEO had made some comments and and you instead of just sitting there and, and, and listening to those comments, you actually took 
some time out to to post some stuff about the comments that were made. And, and if you if you wouldn't mind giving us a you know talking to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we have to realize is the industry, especially the financial industry, that there's there's a lot of individuals there that kind of feel like that they're <laughs> the, the laws don't really apply to them. They're a little bit more aloof than others, and it's a systemic issue. And we we run into this here and there, but at this specific conference, you know, not to get into too much specifics, but uh, at, at this conference, it got to a point where definitely it needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And I had not heard this individual speak before. You know, if you go and take a look at my little two minute video on Twitter, you'll, you'll kind of see how I felt. And, and, and to sum it up, I was re- truly disgusted mm-hmm. by the things that were said. And I find out later on, these are things that have been said in the past by the specific individual, as well as these are things that are unfortunately, unfortunately, pretty commonplace in our industry, as well as other industries, but very much so in our industry, where it's a kind of a bro culture, you know, a lot of people that feel like they're entitled and uh, don't really, you know, think the rules don't apply to them. So uh, I wanted to stand up, I wanted to say something, I wanted to express my feelings. And that kind of lit a fire to this movement where we're seeing now in the financial industry, a lot of women, for example, and minorities that have been encouraged to speak up and talk about some of the issues that have happened in the past, experiences that they've had. And these are things that happened many, many years ago, Emlyn, but they've just kind of kept it to themselves. But now it's given them almost a forum to share those ideas and share those experiences and also share some of the things that we can do to help correct this. And, and that's what I want to talk about today is try to figure out, yes, these problems exist, but how can we make things better? How can we move in the right direction? Absolutely. And I think that that is the theme of where we want to go with the, you know, talking about quality and representation. And I think it's, you know, it's what has been said has been said, but now it's time to move on and heal from this, learn from this and grow from this. And, and when I'm thinking about this, you know, this diversity thing hasn't just started. I know it's diversity and inclusion has been something that people have talked about for a long time. Right. Um, I was right. doing some some quick research and, and they said the, the, the origin of diversity, the first modern equal employment legislation was introduced by Congress in 1943 mm. by President Truman. And he signed an executive order to have its first diversity initiative in the military with the armed services. And so, you know, we've been going on this, that that's one of the things that they've talked about. There, there's been a few other things that they may have attributed that to back in like the 1920s. Um, and then we have some stuff in the late 1800s where actually women were starting to get into the workforce. And so, so this has always been the diversity, the inclusion has always been something that people wanted or that some people wanted and a lot of people fought against. Right. Right. Which is why it's kind of taken a little bit longer than it, than it should, in my opinion. I mean, it's 2019 and we're still talking about this, yes. which, which is kind of mind boggling to me. But at the end of the day, a lot of firms are putting this into practice and you are hearing the diversity and inclusion or they're creating task force or whatever it may be, try to figure out a way to fix this issue. But you have to be careful. Now, is this a more of a publicity stunt or mm-hmm. does the firm truly care about adding more equality and more representation into the firm. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, we have to take a look at what steps are taking, 
how deep does this conversation go within the firm? Is this something more on the lower level, meaning it's uh, something that's being discussed amongst, for example, in our industry, amongst advisors, but yet the executives and the leadership really just kind of put that out there, but don't really want to execute on it. So, we, you know, that's something we have to talk about. But the important thing is when we're discussing equality and representation, I mean, we, look, let's take a step back. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we're all human beings, you know, people of all gender, race, ethnicity, color, religion, sexual preference, they should feel welcome in our industry as well as other industries. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I want to make sure based on the movement that we're working on is that we want to make sure that there's, you know, there's equality, which can mean one thing in the workplace and in our industry and representation. So let's say representation. We want to make sure that all people are represented within a firm. And, you know, it's going to be a little bit harder, let's say, if you're in the cities or places in the country where there isn't a lot of diversity. You know, I'm in Los Angeles, you're in the Central Valley, there's a lot of diversity there, right? Mm -hmm. But if I'm in the middle of the nation, maybe there isn't as much diversity. So it could be a little bit tougher, but you want to have some sort of representation based on where you are geographically. Mm -hmm. And then on the equality side, think about it, whether it be equality for pay, whether it be based on gender, based on abilities, based on your race, there's a lot of inequality there when it comes to compensation, as well as being able to even get the job. You know, mm-hmm. when, when you put in your resume as Emlyn, the, do they look at it and set it aside and say, oh, or, you know, let's get rid of that resume. We're not interested, you know. So, so there's different things that are being done to be able to allow you to have an equal chance of even getting a job mm-hmm. uh, coming into our industry. The, the demographic of your company should match the demographic of the area that you live in. And like you said, when we're talking about those different demographics, like if you're, you know, if you're, you're in the South, then you know that you're going to have a larger population of, of black people there. Right. You know, if you're in the out West out here, we're going to have a larger population of Latinos. And it's actually, I was looking geographically on the map. If you look all through the South, like California, you in Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, all the way through those South states, you're going to have a larger Latino and African-American population through those places. And that should be represented through the equality and representation of the workforce that you have hired. Now, if we go to a place that's, you know, a place like, like Montana, for instance, they're not going to have the same demographic as, as, as we have. And so, you know, you will run into some challenges and I know you've talked about this before. However, I think that it is important for us to make that attempt and it has to start at the top. Like you were saying, like this has to be something that it's not just, it's, it's gotten to the point where diversity and inclusion have become buzzwords. Right. You know, it's like a, it's like a feel good, you know, we have, we have, we check the box. And I think that as companies continue to try to get this right, checking the box is not good enough. Right. And going back to your example, Mm -hmm. you know, if Montana, the representation there is, you know, a lot of, let's say white males or, uh, you know, white men as advisors or in the financial industry, that's one thing, but then you're still seeing that same representation in the South Mm -hmm. where you should probably have a lot more African American advisors (laughs) or people in our industry. And you don't see that. And that's where we need to figure that out and we need to correct that. But you know, that needs to start from the top. We need to have the buy-in. You know, I'm encouraging all the top-level executives, CEOs to set the example and basically change the culture in the firm. 
Mm-hmm. And that's the other issue. The underlying systemic issue becomes the culture within the firm. If the culture is not something that's inviting, where people are going to feel comfortable being there and say, you know what, I belong, then it's not going to work. No matter how many types of organizations or task force or whatever you set up within it, it's not going to work. Because if I, as an Armenian, come to work at your firm and you guys say, okay, well, we're not just checking the box. We want to have, you know, in Los Angeles, there's a good representation of Armenians and also in the Central Valley. And we want to make sure that we have that here at our firm. And then I go in there and it's a bunch of, let's say, you know, and I'm not trying to pick on them, but assuming it's a bunch of white males and they make me feel uncomfortable being there. And they, you know, basically make you feel like you're an outsider or a second class citizen. It's only a matter of time where I say either A, I want to just get the hell out of here and I'm going to try to find another firm. And you will always think the grass is greener, but it usually isn't in our industry. Or I'm just going to altogether say this industry is not for me and I'm going to look to do something else. Mm -hmm. So we run into that issue of the culture and that needs to change. And that's not going to change until the executives and the leadership sets the tone and sets the example. You know, just like I said, you know, I I, want to talk the talk and walk the walk, you know, so I'm not going to just do something or at my firm say, oh, I'd love to have this. But then you look at the, you know, the people that work here and all of a sudden you realize, well, this doesn't match with what you've been talking about. So there's me as a middle, as an Armenian, you know, my wife who works with me, she's Mexican. There's another advisor here who's Japanese. We have another advisor who is also Hispanic and we have two other minorities as well that are part of the team that, that work here. So, and we continue to add and I'll continue to add people that I think are the right fit and that are great that we're on to work with our clients. And, you know, I've heard you talk about this. Clients like to work with people that they they can uh, feel like they, they can get to know or, or, or they can relate to, you know. I have a lot of clients that are Hispanic and they'll come in and they love talking to Rosa. And they can sit there and talk about the food, talk about the music and all these things. And they can relate to them and feel comfortable before any business is even talked about. And I think that's very key and very important. Same thing with Armenian clients, same thing with uh, Japanese clients and so on and so forth. I, c- I can go on and on, but uh, it's, it's very important that they can feel comfortable. And even with the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. right? You know, if we look at that, if that, if, you know, if, if you're a client and you're gay, you're probably going to feel a lot more comfortable working with a gay advisor and because they can relate, they know the things that, that are specific for your needs and your financial concerns and hopefully they're going to be able to take care of you a lot better than myself. I, you know, I, I might not know all the intricacies or the details that are needed in your financial plan, or there might be things that I've missed out on because I haven't seen or experienced them myself. And, and I think that's a good point because we, we talk diversity inclusion. We always talk women. We talk minorities and, and minorities is a broad sweeping you know, suggestion, right. not getting specific. We didn't, we don't ever say LBGTQ. And they need to be talked about because they're the most underrepresented group of anybody in the workforce. And so that's something like, you know, seeing like champions of this cause on Twitter has been has really brought some some things to light for me. My mom was was lesbian. And so it it really, you know, you know, that that their that community is near and dear to me because that was my mom, you know. So I think that as as we look at this and and we think about this, it's being like. I always like to look at it 
in, in this aspect. If you are trying to be in, in, in involved in other communities, other cultures, I talked about this on the, uh, on the Human Advisor podcast. There's nothing like having dinner with someone. Like, mm-hmm. they're breaking mm-hmm. bread, sitting down, eating food makes things so different. And I like to show or share experiences that way. So now, like, if you're coming somewhere and you have, you know, someone, someone says, oh, well, you come over to the house, we're going to have some kimchi. And you don't like kimchi. You're going to be like, ah, I don't know. But if, <laughs> if you have like a, like a, like a, like a regular, like another dish, let's just say chicken, chicken's pretty universal. You can cook it all kinds of different ways. Right. So let's just say you have some type of chicken dish and then kimchi is on the side. And then you got some, you know, you have some, some, some hot water cornbread over here, some greens, or, or you have some tamales over here and you have all these other foods. You will try all those other foods because you have that staple dish. And what I'm saying when I say that is, is if we have, the leadership of the company embracing these new cultures because you have to develop your own culture to be able to have these type of people come in, uh, people of, 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 of diverse backgrounds come in and build a culture of your own. And this is what you're doing there. And I think that sometimes people think it's just like, it's just as after you hire someone, the work is done. And this, right. this isn't in the financial services industry. When I was looking at reports, this is indis- This is basically anywhere across the United States, like, Correct. like all, all jobs. And, and then it's like, then you have this layer of middle management that is predominantly white. Correct. Correct. In all fields. Yeah. And, and, you know, it is in all fields. It's a lot, I, I think, a lot harsher in our industry. And going back to what you were saying, it's very important because those leaders that really can take a step back and say, you know, what are we missing here? Why, why has this become a systemic issue and actually want to make a change? Mm-hmm. They're going to realize that they're going to get positive traction within the firm. Because there's a lot of groupthink right now, right? Mm-hmm. So if my firm looks and feels and is all like me, mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of groupthink. Mm-hmm. But when I start adding different pieces of the, of the puzzle, like you just mentioned with the food, right? Mm-hmm. You might try a little bit of this and that and say, you know what? I never looked at it that way. Mm-hmm. But those people need to be able to have a voice. It's one thing to, as you mentioned, check the box. And you said, okay, I hired an African-American and I hired you know, a gay individual and I hired someone with a disability and blah, blah, blah. And, but if you're not going to let those people have a voice and be able to talk to the leadership as well as be part of the leadership team, mm-hmm. you're, you're really, I don't know what you're doing besides maybe giving those individuals a job. They need to be able to have that voice. They need to be able to communicate. They need to be able to share ideas. And that in turn is going to help that firm because they're going to have a lot more broad thinking and based on some of the numbers that I've seen in some of the uh, uh, back testing, those firms that have done that have actually done a lot better job. So there's an ROI at the end of the day for some of these CEOs and leadership because a lot of them, obviously, if they're private or public companies, that that really makes it, you know, that's something that matters to them. But I, I don't think they should do it for the ROI reason. But yes. my point is there is something that's to be said there that they, they will bring something to the table. Why do you think it's so important for companies to get this right? You know, at the end of the day, we, we have to take a look at what we're doing here. You know, this, if, if we could talk specifically about our industry, the financial industry, there, you know, that, that group think has been very harmful. And it's very harmful in the sense of not helping us grow as an industry, as well as the culture it's created. The culture is allowed these types of individuals that let's call them bad apples, right? You know, 
they feel comfortable to be able to say and do and, 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 and think the way that they can because there is no repercussions, mm-hmm. right? So if in my firm, if I don't really want to enforce the rules and the regulations of how to work with your coworkers, and yet we have this bad apple and they're just constantly always mouthing off or harassing, let's say, other women in our firm or making off-color jokes or making comments that don't belong in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And I don't do anything to enforce it. And I say, oh, you know, that's just Joe. It's okay. Just ignore him. Mm-hmm. Nothing's going to happen. So I'm basically creating that, that environment that says this is okay. Mm-hmm. And that'll continue. And it'll continue. And it'll get worse and worse to the point where you might be up on stage saying things and saying, well, I don't see what the problem is here. Right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we run into that situation. So I, I think we need to fix this from this core and be able to move on up. But again, the leadership has to be the one that's going to enforce these rules, make sure the culture changes, and they need to lead by example. Yeah. If they don't lead by example and they're, they're saying one thing in front of all their employees and then you know behind closed doors or in the boardroom, they're saying something else, it's, not, it's only a matter of time till that's discovered. I've been in the room with managers that complain about diversity. Okay. I've been in the room with managers that complain about it. And I'm like, you're complaining to me about this. Did you look at me when you started this complaint? <laughs> like, did you, you know what I mean? And, and, and I've heard this and this has been from companies that I worked at. And I'm like, okay, so you're going to complain about the fact that we want to diversify. We want our, our company to look like the community that we're trying to serve. Yep. And, 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 and that means that that person who was in a leadership role missed it. They didn't get it. And, and, and I think that it doesn't, it doesn't start on the stage. Like, like we're talking about right now, Alex, I I don't, it didn't start on the stage. It started with little snide comments like, Oh, wow. You, you know, you did this or don't you guys like this? And they're grouping all this lump of lump of people together. This group of people don't all of you people, you know, phrases like that. You right. Right. Or our, our friend Tyrone is talking about, you know, they've told him he needs to change his name when he's calling out or Mm -hmm. things like that is, Mm -hmm. this is, this is unfortunately commonplace and maybe a little bit more commonplace in a wirehouse environment or some mm-hmm. other segments within our industry, right? But these are types of things that we've become numb to. And we've, I, sorry, it, go ahead. It's one of those, like I'm thinking right now, like I've talked to some of the black woman advisors and I was talking to them and I, like it enrages me to hear them you know, I've, I've had a couple friends that say, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm worried about how I wear my hair to the office. I can't, you know, they don't want me to wear it in braids or I can't wear it natural. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like someone, someone, if it looks, you know, your braids are done nice, wear it. <laughs> your hair is done nice, wear it. I don't care what style it's in, long as it's nice, long as it's professional. And if yeah. you're going to tell me that, you know, I'm like, I just like, like there is actually a fear and there's a fear for them to come out and say anything about it because they don't want to be like, you know, kicked out you know, and, and, and be talked about in the light of like, oh, this is the person that look at her. She's the one that did this. And I, I think that the reason why that's still happening is because we don't have any, we don't have a large enough number of minority men to stand up for them. Yeah. And it's just a whole, you know, so now it's like, okay, well, I'm here. This is what I wanted to do. And I guess this is just what I have to deal with. So, I have so, to deal with that. Go ahead. So that's the second part of this. The first part is enforcing, you know, this code of conduct. The second is basically not shaming your team members, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to 
allow shaming as well as shame them myself and say, Oh God, here comes so-and-so mm-hmm. she's the troublemaker or mm-hmm. they're the troublemaker. And now we're going to allow them to be shamed and, and, or figure out, okay, how do we get rid of this person or how do we shift them over to a different department? Mm-hmm. You know, allowing that to happen within the firm is, is very troublesome, you know? So Look, you and I both grew up at a time where we had, you know, snitches get stitches, mm-hmm. uh, don't be the tattletale, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. It's one thing to be the tattletale, but it's another thing to speak up and to say that, hey, listen, I'm not comfortable with this. We need to change this. What do we need to do? But if it goes on deaf ears or if the, if, if the leadership doesn't realize that something needs to be done, it's going to continue, right? So, but, in, in, and if it's, a, it's allowing the rest of the, employees or team members or colleagues to shame that person, that person's eventually going to leave. They're going to get frustrated. They're going to say, this place doesn't care about me. You know, every time I say something, I'm the oddball. And and, uh, now, you know, it's time for me to go on and and, and go somewhere else. So that's another part of it. Then we talk about the arbitration clauses possibly being removed from the employment agreements. Because for example, you know, one of the main things that have been discussed lately is women that have had so much harassment in the workforce Mm -hmm. and the arbitration agreements and clauses that are in their contracts have allowed that to permeate because there's no way this information never gets out. They have to go into some sort of closed door arbitration and they figure something out and settle something and either figure out a way of removing quote unquote the problem. Right. And that usually means getting them out of there or shifting them to a different department, or, you know, they get a retaliation where this person never gets to really climb the corporate ladder. They pretty much, a lot of them have never said anything because they're just worried about the fact that they're going to be that person that's the troublemaker. And, you know, that's not how it really works here in this firm. If I open my mouth, you know, they're, I'm not going to be able to get that promotion or, you know, I'm not going to be able to, a lot of doors are basically going to close for me. Mm -hmm. So. And that's that systemic stuff, like because right. there's so many people in that middle management level that don't look like the, the, the workforce. Right. You know, you can lay that on those those complaints go on deaf ears. I mean, you just look at the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. You look at the C and that's that's probably a good indication of where we are as far as diversity goes. Like it's right. not not probably it's an exact representation. Now, I understand that the majority of the country right now is white, but by the time, you know, in the next 20 years, that's going to drastically change. By the year 2055, uh, I was reading that minorities will be the largest population in the country. We will and not be minorities anymore. The white no. people will become the yes. minorities. But Absolutely. look, it, with those same numbers, mm-hmm. if 50% of the U.S. population are women, mm-hmm. why aren't we even close to having 50% women in our industry as well as other industries? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm or in the executive leadership, or as CEOs, or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it is a systemic issue. And there is a lot of people, a lot of people I discovered, especially after me putting out that tweet, that don't want that to change. Mm-hmm. They really don't want it to change. They are scared. Mm-hmm. They are worried about them being attacked. And for so long, the, you know, and a lot of the messages and the hate mail and stuff that I received are from, like it or not, white men. Mm-hmm. And, and that was something that you could tell there, there's a fear. They don't want to let that go. They've been trying to hold people down for as long as possible. And they almost feel like, oh, it's an uprising. How could we cut the legs from this thing? And I think it's too late. I think social media plays a big role here because a lot of these conversations, 
you and I, if we worked together, we would have had this probably at the water cooler, mm-hmm. right? We would have discussed it, talked about our frustrations. And then when we parted ways at the water cooler, conversation was done and it died right there. Mm-hmm. But now with the way the world is and how rapidly it's changing and how we can exchange information and save videos and do all this stuff, it lives forever. And it could be shared over and over again globally, not just in your small community. Mm-hmm. And I think that has been helpful because you saw a lot of this Me Too movement happening in the entertainment industry mm-hmm. and other industries as well. And I think it's going to continue to happen as, as these scenarios occur. The predators don't like when they become prey. Right. And that's that's what's happening now. People right. are, you know, the 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 people that have been preyed upon in this women, minorities from all backgrounds have been preyed on for a long time. And now it's starting to turn around and say, you know what, we have a voice. Our voice will be heard and we're starting to speak out on it. Now, the the thing that that, you know, as as continual as, as people continue to be faced with consequences from not treating people right as they should. And I think they should be persecuted to the highest extent as it, like it, it should, we, there needs to be a few people that'll be examples, right? Unfortunate for them, but they deserved it. You know, you, you get what you deserve. They've gone away with it for way too long. In my opinion, I'm excited for what's going to happen. I'm excited for the changes that are coming in our industry. I'm excited for the changes that are going to come in the workforce in general, because I think that it's, like I said, it's not a, it's not a financial services specific issue. If you look at the tech industry, if you look at, you know, right. the, the, you look at, you know, attorneys, if you look at CPAs, if you look at any profession, engineers, they're all going to be predominantly men and white men for that. Now I'm not on a white man witch hunt. I think there's, there's plenty of white guys out there that are good and we need the good ones to stand out from amongst the bad ones. Because if they, if they don't, we can't get this done. We need their help. Absolutely. I think you hit it the nail on the head there. I think they all have to play a role, all leaders. And again, majority of the leaders being white men right now, especially in our industry, they need to set the tone. They need to set the example. Right. But again, I think it's very important that they don't do this as a publicity stunt and Mm -hmm. say, hey, this is what I'm going to say publicly. But behind closed doors, my board and my executive team knows I could care less about this stuff. (laughs) My my grandmother used to always say, your sins will find you out. I was like, what does that mean? Well, we're seeing it. Your grandma, your grandmother was very, very wise. I, 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 I was listening to your other podcast and you've quoted her a couple of times. So I, I think it's fantastic that you were able to soak up a lot of that knowledge from her. They were always, they were always pouring into me, even when I didn't want it. So they I always got it. So, so what else can companies do to change? I wanted to just take like, what can come, like, I know there's going to be people sitting here and they're like, okay, Alex, okay. And when you guys are talking about all the bad stuff that yeah, that's going on, but what can we do to actually make some actionable changes to what's going on in our firms? And, and maybe it got out of hand and they didn't really realize it. Like I'm not, I, I don't, but what can they do to change? We'll just go there. What can, what can they do to change? So listen, when you get hired, there's an employee handbook, right? And there's code of conducts, there's rules in there and so forth. I think majority of these firms need to go back and reevaluate what's in there. Mm-hmm. A, mm-hmm. okay. Whether they want to remove arbitration clauses and things that encourage harassment within the firm, that's something that could be done. That's something we're working on right now with our attorneys to remove mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Adding other items within the employee handbook that's going to encourage the culture, that's going to encourage change within the firm. 
and then we need to make sure that they can add different things to allow advancement for people. So educating them, allowing minorities, allowing women, allowing people of all types of abilities, uh, races, religions, colors, to be able to join the firm, have an opportunity, advance in there, and make sure they also give them the equality, you know, equal pay is going to be important. If I find out, you know, if I'm working at a firm and I find out that I'm being paid less because I'm of Middle Eastern descent than my colleague who has the same exact job and role, it's going to cause issues. So that's something that they need to go back into the system and, and look and start to clean a lot of that up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Again, and, and the other thing is, again, enforcing these codes, enforcing these rules, because at the end of the day, if I don't enforce these, that culture is going to continue to change. That bro culture that we have is going to continue until you start, unfortunately, the chopping people's heads off mm-hmm. and making making you know uh, examples of some of them, especially the ones that have just had this issue year after year, have had complaints against them, have had stuff, but are still around in that firm and have actually even been able to move up the corporate ladder. Those people need to get rid of. Once you get rid of the cancer, the rest of the stuff will take care of itself. It's funny that, you know, back, you know, in the olden days, someone did wrong and they had publicly execute them. It just oh, kind of yeah. changes things. Like if you have publicly, you know, executed, not that I'm saying public execution is what we want, but in a, in a matter of sense, publicly reprimanded for what you've done with, you know, fines, with just everything that, you know, the being hit with the full, <laughs> the full magnitude of what you deserve. For treating people that way. Think about it in different countries, and I'm I'm not advocating for this, but mm-hmm. just to use this as part of your example, if you're in a country where if you shoplift, they will chop your arm off. Mm-hmm. What percentage of people do you think shoplift? This is much less mm-hmm. than somewhere else where when you shoplift, you basically go to their back and then they maybe call the cops or they talk to you for a little bit. And you're going to be like, oh, that wasn't so bad. I'll try it again. Mm-hmm. So again, I'm not advocating that people be chopping uh, others' uh, arms off or hands off. Uh, it's very inhumane. But at the end of the day, just kind of sets the rule. That's why it's important for the culture to get it and it's to force those rules. Because if I have a rule saying we do not allow harassment yet, I'm one of the people doing the harassment as well as everyone else in the firm, then who cares what's written in the in the paper in the employment agreement? No, no, no one cares. Absolutely. And so if someone speaks up, we say, oh, you know, we're going to have to go to arbitration. We cannot, we're going to keep this under wraps. We're going to sweep it under the rug. No one's going to ever know. And the culture will continue. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Th- this is, this is something that companies can do. And I, that's, you know, taking those steps to change the culture. I think culture change is where it's going to happen. And that's going to be the biggest impact and you will see the results that you want. And I think it's going to overall, I mean, we know that it's going to affect your bottom line. That's not what we're telling you to do it, but it's the right thing to do. And I heard this before and uh, I'll say it now. So you can't go wrong making a right decision. So just make the right decisions. Yeah. And you had a great quote actually, and I wrote it down. You said, we as an industry have done a good job about getting the numbers right and getting the people wrong. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would love to actually flip the switch, uh, you know, (laughs) the script on you here and and ask you a little bit more. Can you dive a little deeper into that? What did you mean by that? What I meant was that in the financial services industry, we've done a great job, like I said, of of telling people, this is how much money you need to have if you're going to retire. This is when you need to start putting money away for your kids. This is when, you know, how much is going to cost for college? This is, 
you know, how much life insurance you need. This is what we have all these numbers and this is telling this, this is the number for this and this is the number for that. And we sit down with these people and we don't know anything about them. And, and here we are telling them, well, you know, even on the CFP exam, I'm doing my CFP stuff. And it's like, if someone's this age, this is the amount of money that they need to save. This is that. And I'm like, well, what if this person has never had a savings account? What if this person comes from nothing and, and, and they're more concerned about eating their next meal or, you know, right. what's like none of that stuff. Like there's no programs in any of the CFP material that talks about being human. And the CFP is the standard that we've set as, you know, if someone has their CFP, then they know every, you know, that's the person you should deal with. Well, are they human? Do they relate with people on a human level? And I, I think that that's the biggest problem that I think I see in the industry. And it's just one of those things like everyone's talking about, you know, AUM, client acquisition. It's all about numbers. Did you win the client? And I'm like, come on, bro. Like, like, does like I, I've sit here in my office and talk to people and said, you know, I don't think it's good for you to invest this money right now. I think you need to keep this money with you. And, and it, it's probably better for you to have this in a bank in case you need it for something else. Agreed. Um, Agreed. 100%. And this is one of the reasons. And, and a lot of people ask me, do we have account minimums? And I've told mm -hmm. them we don't have account minimums for this specific reason that a lot of people need help. You know, mm -hmm. they might not have those types of assets and those are usually are the people that need a lot more guidance than those that have assets. And, you know, as long as they're respectful of our time and our team, as well as they want to learn and be educated, mm -hmm. I'm more than happy to help them out. You know, it doesn't really matter whether they have a million dollars, but in our industry, wall street says, you know, we'll ask the question, how much money do you have to invest? And then we'll ask the rest of the questions. Mm -hmm. Then we'll see if we want to work with you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very much backwards, but that's a systemic issue in our industry of how we work with each other, as opposed to saying, let me, let me figure things out. Let's see if you're okay. You, you know, you might, like you mentioned, maybe we need, there's some underlying issues here. If they're worried about cash flow and how I'm going to put food on the table tomorrow, let alone how, you know, tell, talk to me about stocks and bonds. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's it's backwards. It's so backwards. Like, and, and so, you know, that's something that I think the industry can do. I think that's something that we can do. You have stuff that, you know, like uh, the, the kinder classes, the registered life planner, which takes a, the whole financial approach and flips it on its head and, and makes it about people. And, and it's crazy, right? We get in this business because we like people, right? Not money. Right. Well, that's why I did it. Yeah. I, listened. I was, I was, I was doing investments on my own out of high school and I learned about all this stuff. And, and then I started helping my friends and family members out. And eventually I said, you know what? I love doing this. I enjoy doing it, helping people out that I care about. And if I'm going to work with anyone, I might as well work with people I care about. And, and then I decided to get into the business. So it was, it was a perfect natural segue for me as opposed to something that was forced. And it was more like, what can I go into that's going to make me a ton of money, you know, and then work at it that way. And unfortunately you see a lot of people come into this business. They're the type A personalities and it's all about how can I make the most amount of money and then we'll figure out the stuff for the clients next. It should be back. It should be the other way around. If you take care of your clients, you do the right thing. The money will come. It might take a lot longer, but you're doing the right things and I can sleep a lot better at night knowing that I did that. Back to that, that one little phrase, can't go wrong making a right decision. Do what's right by the people. Just do what's right by the people. Agreed. As you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast where we're changing the complexion of wealth. So I wanted to ask you a few questions. What, what motivates Mr. Chalekian to grow and learn? You know, it's, uh, I've been thinking about this because I know you're going to ask me this question listening to your other podcasts. One of the reasons why I like to learn and grow in this business, number one, is the fact that 
you can't stop learning and growing in this mm-hmm. business. If you don't stop learning, you're, you're, I mean, if you stop learning, you're, you're basically, you might as well put yourself out of business. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have stopped learning. There's just kind of a dinosaur in the industry and it'll continue in that way. But the other thing that's been motivating for me has been the fact that when I started 22 years ago, mm-hmm. I didn't have a mentor. Mm-hmm. I had quote unquote mentor, uh, you know, who was another gentleman, white gentleman that was a couple of years older than me. I was 21 and I think he was 24, or 25. And he would probably, he could probably be, he'd probably be the worst person to be a mentor in anyone's life. When I basically told him I wanted to focus on financial planning and leave, he basically, he told me, you'll never make it in this business without me. You're going to be a nobody. And, and, you know, that's been something that's been a fire for me. So you see a lot of what I'm doing now is giving back to the community, giving back to the industry, helping want to be that mentor that I never had. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's funny that you said that because I had someone tell me the same thing, like that you're making a big mistake starting your own firm. I was like, eh, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, Motivation. We'll <laughs> Motivation. Do you think education plays a big part in wealth building? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I mentioned earlier, I think for the clients that we meet with, we need to help educate them. If I'm doing a lot of the work on their behalf, right, right, it's easy for them to forget. And I know people inherently are lazy and they want these things taken care of. They might not understand it. But I've told clients, even clients that are very sophisticated, I said, I want you to know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I want you to be educated. I want you to learn the pros and cons of all the different options you have. Because at the end of the day, I don't want you to think I'm doing something or I should have done something else. It's very important for me to understand, to be educated and to learn. You know that saying, you know, you can fish for someone or teach someone to fish, right? That the same mentality is like, I want them to understand and learn. I'll take care of it for them, but I want them to be educated about it. Financial literacy is a huge, huge issue in our nation. And Mm -hmm. I don't know why we don't talk about any of this stuff, even in college or in high school. It's, you know, out when they get into the real world where people are saying, okay, let me figure out how to balance a checkbook or Mm -hmm. let me figure out how much I should set aside for retirement. I don't know why it's not being discussed at a much younger age and making it more mandatory. I think there's some things that, you know, come from the family. I know the school is responsible for some of it. Some of that has to come from the family, but the problem that we're having there is that we, we, we back, you know, the chicken or the egg, right? right. So right. Now, we, now we have families that aren't, you know, well-versed in, in, in financial issues. So it's a, it's an ongoing thing, but I but Emily, that. that's where your role comes in Absolutely. because you're doing that. Even if they didn't have that financial education or that literacy for their own current family, you're stepping in and you're saying, I'm going to break this chain mm-hmm. going forward. I'm going to educate you. So you can now pass this on to the next generation and the next generation. And you'll work with those multiple generations for as long as you can, and you'll help them move forward. So you're, creating that legacy and you're breaking the chain within their family tree. Absolutely. The chain breakers changing the complexion of wealth. Yep. There you go. If you could offer the listeners a piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? So I'm going to give you a two for here. Okay. The, the golden rule, something I've lived by, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This has been very, very powerful for me throughout my life. I've always put myself in the other person's shoes and say, how would I like things to be done? Whether it be in my business, in my personal life, it's, it's been something that's very, very powerful for me and, and has worked out well. So I, I, I would pe- tell people to always go back to that rule. The other thing is, you know, I think about, and I want your listeners to think about, what's your legacy? 
Mm-hmm. You know, a wise person said, it doesn't matter if you're the richest person in the graveyard. <laughs> Think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. You know, we do all these things, but if we're not helping change people, people's lives or making things better than what, how we found it, are we really making a difference? You know, uh, is someone going to come to my funeral and say, oh, Alex, yeah, he was a great financial advisor. No, I don't think anyone's going to say that at my funeral or at yours. Not that we're not great financial advisors, but people are going to come and say, Emlyn touched me here. Mm -hmm. Emlyn changed my life. He changed my family's life. He gave back to the community. He was an amazing individual. He was a great family person. What an awesome father. What an awesome son. So forth. So those are the types of things we need to focus on. Unfortunately, we focus on the wrong things sometimes. Mm I, I couldn't agree more with that. I, I, you're you're spot on with that, and and this has been a this has been a, a, a great conversation. If people want to get more of Alex Chalekian, where can they find you at? What what social media is happening for you? Where where, where do they find you? Are you sure? I don't know if people want any more of me. <laughs> people going to want they're going to want Mr. Chalekian. I'm telling you right now that they, they need to, they need to get some of that. I, I get a daily dose of of this and. Yeah, I get this all the time. So they, they need to hear this. I think people, they're, they'll, so, they'll be blessed by this. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I'm very active on Twitter. You can find me at Alex Chalakian, C-H-A-L-E-K-I-A-N. I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn and Facebook. So if you just search up my name, you'll be able to find me there, as well as our website, lakeavfinancial.com. And a whole bunch of other places. I mean, if you just type in my name in Google, you'll I'll pop up all, all over. So you nice. won't be able to get away so from me. That is my good friend and and person I, I look up to, Alex Chalekian. This is the Minority Money Podcast, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast in whatever podcast app you're listening to on now. And give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and to be supported by others just like you. And again, we're super happy to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it cannot be completely your one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But guess what? If you have any questions, or maybe you just like to chat, please reach out to me directly at imlin at minoritymoney.com so that we can get to know each other there. Thanks for being here, and we're signing off.